On today's episode of Conservative Roundup, I'm joined by John Barlow, the MP for Foothills. All right, everyone, welcome back to episode 62 of Conservative Roundup. Today I'm joined by John Barlow, the MP for Foothills. Well, thank you so much for, for being here, John. It's great to have you. It's a pleasure. Thanks for the invitation, Aiden. It's uh, great to have a chance to talk about some of the issues in the conservative movement and appreciate you doing this. Thanks. Well, let's just start by telling us a little bit about yourself first. Well, I'm, the, as you said, the Member of Parliament for Foothills, so my riding is the southwest corner of Alberta, uh, basically the heart of cattle country in the Rocky Mountains in the west, so a lot of agriculture um, and some energy, natural resource development for sure, um, but uh, being so close to Calgary, we, we obviously have, uh, you know, some, some commercial development and, you know, some really innovative uh, new businesses as well. Well, well what kind of made you want to want to jump into politics? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. You know, it wasn't a lifetime goal by any means. It's just, uh, you know, I was a journalist for almost 25 years. Uh, so I covered a lot of politics from every level, municipal, provincial and federal, and always had a passion for it. And, uh, you know, after a while, you, you kind of get tired of being on the sidelines and, <laughs> and cover you said man I, that's uh you know i think i could do uh, better than that or just as well and and when the opportunity arose uh, when the member of parliament that preceded me ted menzies uh retired kind of um unexpectedly uh, i just had a lot of friends and family and people i trust uh approach me and say you know this is something we think you'd be really good at would you be interested and in all honesty, in the first when people asked, I said no. I, I didn't want to be away from my family in Ottawa that much. But mm-hmm. my wife, who's uh, you know a lot smarter than I am and a great supporter, said, you know, if you don't do this now, you never know when the opportunity will come again, mm-hmm. and, and you'll regret it for the rest of your life. And, and she was right. Yeah. Well, what's kind of been the, the best part of being an MP so far? You know, I think uh, just the the people you get to work with and the people I've had the opportunity to meet uh, through my seven years as an MP. You know, uh, not only as, as politicians, but in stakeholder groups. And, uh, you know, you, you get to work with some of the most passionate, committed, hardworking people in, in the country. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I just like that. The, I think the, the best part for me is the relationships I've been able to build and the people I've been able to meet. Is it, is it kind of like one big family, the whole caucus in the house? Uh, you know, yes and no. I guess uh, when you say a family, uh, you're, you're definitely going to have your disagreements and mm-hmm. some people that uh, you don't always look, see eye to eye with. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I have friends that, you know, that are definitely friends for life that I have within the Conservative caucus. Uh, but I've also made friends with other parties. And um, and I think that's important, too, because sometimes mm-hmm. you do have to put uh, partisanship aside and, and uh, try and get some stuff done, especially at the committee level. Definitely, for sure. My next question for you is, what type of conservative would you describe yourself as and why? Well, I would say that, uh, you know, I'm a fiscal conservative, and that's really one of the main reasons that I got into this is, um, you know, I grew up in a rural community. Money was always tight. Uh, we understood the, the importance of every single dollar. And, uh, you know, I, I've just certainly seen from every level of government going further and further away from that. And uh, I think it's really important that, you know, you that every tax dollar is spent wisely and is, and is accountable. And um, I think that's really the most important thing for me. Uh, but over the years, that's, that's certainly expanded a little bit. Um, you know, the flood in 2013 here in, in High River uh, was also an important issue for me to see um, the rebuilding of this community, uh, not just High River, but several other communities around us that were, they were impacted by that. And, um, but I, I would say that would be the most, the biggest issue for me. 
Mm-hmm. And where's some definitely being in a, in a rural uh, constituency? What's kind of some uh, some of your big concerns from your constituents? The, the the biggest you know for for my riding, which the two main industries here are agriculture and energy. Uh, the infrastructure development would be probably a huge issue on the agriculture side. That's the ability for us to be able to get our commodities to market, to ensure that we remain a trusted trading partner on the global stage. You know, illegal rail blockades, um, CN strikes, those things all have all those impact them. And on the energy side, uh, our inability to to be able to build critical infrastructure like pipelines and Mm -hmm. moving that commodity onto the rail, which then trickles down and impacts you know, grain, uh, logs, you know, all of those types of things. So I think the frustration that we have out here right now is, you know, a confederation that just doesn't seem to be working where provinces are blocking one another from, from building these, um, these projects. And I think that's really mm-hmm. frustrating for, for rural Albertans specifically. Yeah. Cause you, you have BC and Quebec kind of, they want to kind of dictate how Alberta builds their pipelines and how they kind of get their resources to market. And that's completely unfair on Alberta on, on their part because that's I mean that's your provinces I mean that's the, what what Alberta the Alberta government's up to I mean that's their decision not in other provinces I mean that's kind of like as well as I think equalization payments as well I mean it's kind of a little lopsided you could say kind of going to Quebec and uh, and not other places but so kind of yeah I guess that would be lopsided I mean agriculture I mean you really because I mean farmers have like a limited time window to get their resources to market I mean they I mean they're working around the clock and then I mean, they barely, I mean, they don't even have enough time, right? But so kind of right now you're, you're on the health committee. Can you tell us a little, a little bit about that role? Drug prices, types of things. Uh, I, I've really enjoyed the challenge. It's been great to work with, uh, you know, MP. Inspection Agency and the Pest Management Agencies, PMRA, which have that, certainly that agriculture side to it, which, um, you know, they are part of the health department, and sometimes we lo- we lack a little bit of uh, insight on that. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I mean, because, I mean, when you're in a committee, I mean, right now, the conservatives, I mean, you kind of have to get support from the block and the NDPs. That kind of ties you up on information and accountability that you get on the committees as well. I mean, is that kind of what you get often is you don't really get all three opposition parties saying yes to, to un- unleashing information? Yeah, thankfully on our committee, on the health committee anyways, we, we've had a pretty good working relationship with the block and the NDP. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why you've seen a lot of this information start to come out of the health committee. Um, you know, whether that's, uh, you know, the complete mishandling of the vaccine rollout, uh, the agreement with Ken Sino on vaccine development, uh, you know, the, the ridiculous contracts that we've signed with some of the pharmaceutical companies, um, you know, no justification on the hotel quarantine program. Mm-hmm. All of these... Um, revelations and I'd say scandals have come about because the opposition parties have worked together on health committee to ensure mm-hmm. that we have access to that information. And so it does show you uh, the benefits of you know having that, that strong relationship with sometimes members of other parties. Definitely. I mean, we're kind of on the finance committee. We don't really get as much information as we do on the health committee. Well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, to say we get everything we want is probably pretty, uh, pretty naive but uh we we certainly have gotten more than i think we thought we would mm. and definitely as well like, like when you turn into the health committees i mean you don't even get information from patty Hydu or jennifer o'connell or even uh p-hack i mean and it's so difficult they're like well they'll be like oh well we'll, we'll get back to you on that i mean nothing ever nothing ever comes back to the committee right well no like you know perfect example like you said you know we asked for the uh the contracts on the vaccines that, that we signed with the, the pharmaceutical companies, we asked for that months ago and still haven't seen it. And it came out on Friday, but they're completely redacted. So, <laughs> um, you know, and, and 
Minister Heiju is absolutely, uh, uh, I don't think she's answered a single question we've ever asked her. <laughs> and uh, you know, that's frustrating for Canadians because these are legitimate questions, especially when it comes to vaccine and, and mm-hmm. COVID pandemic strategy uh, or opening the border for that matter, that this impacts Canadians' daily lives. And it's, it, I think it's becoming extremely frustrating for them when you see bureaucrats and the minister not answer those, those questions. Definitely, I mean, because it, it, it's so important too. I mean, when you you kind of go up there, she's like, "Oh, well, we're doing our best." I mean, even the, I mean, you guys still haven't even gotten the information table for the that says how the quarantine hotels are affected. I mean, we just learned today that Canadians or, or p- people that travel abroad paid about two point ninety seven million dollars to the to the federal government for those quarantine hotels. I mean, I mean, we still can't have any data. I mean, we have all these other well people doing studies saying that it's not effective in in any way as well. No, that's exactly right. And, you know, we've asked, um, you know, PHAC, deputy ministers, CBSA, uh, the health minister for months, you know, show show us the data that that definitively um, shows that the hotel quarantine program has been more effective at curbing the spread of the virus or, or more, uh, you know, better efficacy rates than quarantining at home. And mm-hmm. They can't answer that. They, they cannot provide that data. So we're not asking them to make something up. We're just saying, prove it. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want Canadians to spend thousands of dollars to stay in a quarantine hotel when they are just as, just as easily go home and quarantine, you know, show me why this is important mm-hmm. and or why this works. And they can't do it. And even today at Health Committee, uh, we had members, uh, a member from the special advisory uh, panel on treatment and testing on, on COVID. And she said, we could not find any proof that a hotel quarantine is more effective than the quarantining at home so you know it it doesn't exist and they they do this stuff for political reasons and Canadians, unfortunately, the ones paying the price. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, because I mean, we, we kind of have the, the COVID hotels. I mean, Justin Trudeau is coming back from the G, G7, and then they have this whole set hotel set up that they're going to actually do just for him. I mean, I, I would try, I would invite him to, to go into where those two ladies that were sexually assaulting him be in that position and, and kind of have Christy Freeland, Patty Hyde, you say, well, if they didn't travel, it's, it wouldn't, they wouldn't be there, right? Exactly. So that, that's the hypocrisy of it all, right? You, mm-hmm. through the past, six months you've you've imposed this draconian uh quarantine hotel program on canadians which we we pretty much know now is not not effective it's expensive it's inefficient Mm -hmm. um and yet you know the the show of true leadership is to do what you're asking everybody else to do and of Mm -hmm. course in true uh liberal he's setting up his own hotel in ottawa uh to go through a designated hotel Mm -hmm. quarantine site I, i just find that yeah, no, no, exactly. I mean, like, I mean, like a lot of people. I mean, they're paying what is it, like five thousand dollars for like three nights at a, at a hotel quarantine, right? I mean, uh, I mean, and that's uh, that's really unreasonable too because he he created this whole this whole loophole that that he that Canadians would have to pay and and others wouldn't, right? Like that we've seen. Yeah. Well, not only that, this uh, his quarantine at a hotel in Ottawa. So um, we're getting double billed here. I don't, yeah, like, like, it was like, I mean, people are paying like $5,000. People don't even have that in, in their bank accounts. I mean, they're, I mean, look, there's this uh, example today that I saw some person traveled maybe about an hour across the border to pick up medication that's, that's not from Canada and traveled back and he had to pay $5,000 to, to stay for three or four nights. I mean, 
I, it's so unreasonable. And, and then Justin Trudeau, I mean, when he's first implementing it, I mean, he created that loophole where Canadians have to pay it, and he don't have, he doesn't have to pay it himself. I mean, it's kind of funny that when he, for that a man that likes to spend so much money doesn't pay for Canadians on this, right? Right. Well, it's easy to do, and you don't have to pay for it yourself, right? <laughs> you can spend other people's money. And you go back to when this first happened, and you make a great point: is that uh, when they first implemented this, there was no warning. So for a family, uh, you know, we had all of us had constituents who were phoning us in tears saying, how am I going to pay for this? Mm -hmm. You have a family of four that's on a a Mexican vacation. You've saved up for years to pay for that. You don't exactly put $5,000 aside for a hotel quarantine. (laughs) Many of them had no idea they were going to have to do this. And then Mm -hmm. they said, well, how am I going to pay for this? And, you know, there's... That's that's just how ridiculous this program was. Like you, mm-hmm. you just cannot do that. Mm-hmm. Force uh, Canadians, Canadian citizen, to uh, be quarantined in a hotel at their own expense. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's imposed by the federal government. It wasn't fair. I know exactly. I mean, we're kind of jumping back to the beginning of COVID. I mean, their border policy has just been disastrous. I mean, we're kind of looking at the start of COVID. I mean, conservatives called for the borders to be closed, and they, they called us racists and, and bigots and the, right. for wanting just a safe and effective borders. I mean, President, former President Trump, had, I mean, he had an excellent uh, first couple of days of trying to manage everything. I mean, he closed the borders down. I mean, he, he I guess he stopped the loopholes coming through the border. I mean, everything that, that the, the U.S. government did within the first 10 days, I mean, was effective. And they were, they were coming like, like weeks in behind from them. And then, I mean, like all of this probably could have been prevented. I mean, even if we close the borders, maybe even a couple uh, weeks early. I mean, I mean, like it's something we don't know, but I mean, maybe who knows, right? I mean, it, it, it's just so funny that that Justin Trudeau likes to implement all these things that he kind of thinks that he can take advantage of how COVID works. I mean, we look at the first reading of CERB and he, him and then finance minister Bill Morrow tried sneaking in uh, unlimited spending with no oversight for three years. Yeah, that's right. It, it just shows you how they bungled this right from the right from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when we first brought this up in, in January of 2019, they were they were calling us racist. Uh, you know, COVID wasn't a high risk. Don't need to wear a mask. We're not going to shut down borders. Doesn't it's not effective. Uh, and then it just put us months and months behind. And then when you you see that how big of an issue this was, and they had to you know eat some crow. Uh, what's the thing you do about you know, developing and producing a vaccine, you go to communist China. Like, <laughs> you know, what other country in the world would have thought that was a good idea? Yeah. To That's where we're going to go. When we had Canadian companies, for starters, that were, mm-hmm. you know, on the path to developing and, you know, perhaps manufacturing uh, vaccines right here at home, mm-hmm. you go to communist China, and then you're, you're shocked when that doesn't work out. Mm-hmm. And then we have to go cap in hand to all these other pharmaceutical companies that have made their commitments to other countries already. So, it shows you why we are in the mess we're in right now. Would would we have uh, avoided COVID altogether? No, but we would have been in a much better position than we are now. Exactly. Had, had they handled this better. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we're kind of going to the the Cancino deal with they with, I mean, with communist China. I mean, they still I mean they still have two of our own citizens locked up, but we have and we haven't heard anything from them. I mean, we're kind of doing deals that 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 hold our citizens hostage as well. I mean, that right there is is a huge red flag, complete no, and then. Well, I mean, you, you've seen, I mean, he he uh, depleted the rest of our, our our equipment during the start of COVID. He gave that all, the rest of that to China instead of giving it to uh, Canadians abroad in Canada that need it most. I mean, even up in the north or down in Alberta or, here, or even here in Ontario. Yeah, I think it just goes to show you when uh, Justin Trudeau in the, the election in 2015 kind of joked that, uh, you know, he has 
admiration for the communist uh, <laughs> regime in China because they can make you know dis- the basic dictatorship because mm-hmm. they can make decisions. Well, I think it truly shows that he he does admire uh, the dictatorship of the of communist China because mm-hmm. every time there's a problem, that's where he goes to first. Um, mm-hmm. And a decision as big as accessing and procuring vaccines. Why? And when they like you said, they have two Canadians illegally detained. In the two Michaels, why would you go to China, communist China, to develop a Canadian, you know, the vaccines for Canadians, which they've produced exactly zero. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it, the naivety of the liberal uh, attitude when it comes to their relationship with China is absolutely galling. Mm-hmm. And they are one of the worst bad actors in, in the world. And every other country or allies have figured it out, except mm-hmm. for Canada. I mean, yeah, we're still waiting a, a decision on Huawei that, that Parliament passed that said that he has to make a decision. I mean, we're still waiting for that. We're still waiting for the info to be tabled at committee. We're still waiting for it in, in Parliament. So then you, you kind of have the like the Liberals, they, they go on in uh, the regular, like the sitting, and then they're like, well, the Conservatives are lying. They don't know what they're talking about. Well, yeah, we do. I mean, it's just the basic deflect and, and avoid in, in Parliament. And it, it, it comes back to when the Canadians see it, they're, they're thinking, well, what's really happening here because you have one person saying this and you have another saying this but i mean go over the years i mean looking at the harper years as well i mean we, when we kind of had that 08 08 09 uh, recession i mean that a lot of canadians voted for stephen harper's fiscal responsibility and his economic policies i mean we're going into an election now that that's really most important as as, as well I think that's you, you touch on an important point there, Aiden, and I think that's one of the biggest disappointments that I would say many Canadians would have with with Justin Trudeau is you know under Stephen Harper they may not have liked him as a person, but we were well respected on the global stage. Mm-hmm. There's no question that, that Stephen Harper as a Prime Minister of Canada uh, was well respected and strong on global issues, you know, whether mm-hmm. that's you know telling Putin to get out of Ukraine, things like that, and you know for Justin Trudeau in the 2015 saying you know Canada's back, um, you know Canada never left. But now we are a joke on the global stage. No one takes mm-hmm. us seriously. They've seen, uh, you know, the, the 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 agreement with CanSino on the vaccines. Um, we have been basically taking vaccines from the COVAX program, which is vaccines <laughs> intended for third world developing countries. Mm-hmm. We're the only G7 country to do that. It's embarrassing. Mm-hmm. These things are embarrassing. And I think, you know, global leaders around the world are looking at Canada as as a, a bit of a banana republic with some of the decisions that, that Justin Trudeau was making. And mm-hmm. as a Canadian, um, I'm, I'm embarrassed of our current leadership and, and how uh, they have uh, carried themselves on the global stage, whether that's, uh, you know, the, the tickle trunk tour of India, um, you know, this, this pandering to China, um, mm. you, you know, the virtue signaling and all of these issues, you know, sooner or later, you've got to get a, put your big boy pants on and start being a world leader. Mm-hmm. And right now our prime minister can't seem to do that. Exactly. I mean, another point as well is, is blackface. I mean, a lot of Canadians were like, well, for my, for what I'm hearing as well, I mean, lots of people are ashamed just to be even Canadian because they're associated with, with Justin Trudeau. A lot of people now, I mean, even in Toronto's most locked down city, North America, people are getting up and they're moving to Texas, Florida, South Dakota. I mean, they've had enough of what's been going on in Canada. I mean, they're they're packing up and moving, and that's costing us dearly as well. I mean, that's business right there. I mean, we're already losing small businesses, but who cares to Justin Trudeau, right? He doesn't really care about how. I mean, he's been being fed with a silver spoon all his life, so he doesn't really know how all the, the rest of these Canadians actually feel. I mean, small businesses they're they're just going like poof right out of the air. They're they're, they're just dropping dead because they have they have no income. They aren't allowed to reopen. Yeah, and I think that's one of the. 
I wish more Canadians would be paying attention to the the consequences of bad liberal policy is that for sure, um, as a result of, of the pandemic and the liberal slow reaction on some of these programs, that we, we will lose a large percentage of, percentage of our of our small business. But because of um, liberal policy like C69, C48, uh, higher taxes, you know, massive increase on carbon tax, businesses are, and I hear it every day in my riding, businesses are picking up and moving south of the border because you know, we're, we're now a global economy. They don't, doesn't matter necessarily where, um, where your roots are, but we are losing as a, as a result of that and all the bureaucratic red tape and, oh my gosh, like for us to start a business here in Canada or to innovate is almost impossible. Um, But we are losing our best and brightest that are Mm -hmm. going elsewhere. And that has real consequences on our future. And when it comes to, uh, innovation, technological advancements, uh, the, you know, the growth of business here in Canada, uh, there are very real consequences to massive overspending, massive increase in the size of government and bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, we are only seeing the tip of the iceberg on what this will do to our economic future. Definitely. I mean, Alberta suffered the, the worst under the Trudeau government, even pre-COVID. I mean, I mean, we have just here, oh, yeah, no pipelines. We're not, we're not going to build it. And look how many deals have fallen through. I mean, Keystone XL, now we're kind of coming up to Line 5, the Coastal Gas Link. I mean, everything, it, it all falls in Justin Trudeau's lap. I mean, as you said, there was the illegal uh, train blockades back in early 2020. I mean, and he kind of just brushed it off as, oh, it's the RCMP's issue to, to deal with. I mean, I mean, I mean, here's a complete, uh, they're holding our economy hostage and where's just I mean, he's hiding under, I mean, he's hiding in his little uh, cottage, like, like Willie the Groundhog just comes out every once in a while. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the, you know, that's right. That's the, the joy of the liberal virtue signaling, right? That the, the illegal blockades brought our entire economy to a screeching halt. And the prime minister, like you said, was nowhere to be found. Didn't say a word. Um, and, and that's, like I said, that's a banana republic where you allow uh, some activists here and there to to bring an entire country's economy to a halt, which costs us tens of billions of dollars every single day. And as I mentioned earlier, what that does is when we can't get commodities to our market, we have signed contracts with countries around the world for the commodities that we produce and develop and manufacture here in Canada. Well, while our products can't move to the coasts, um, there are ships waiting at harbor paying demurrage fees, thousands and thousands of dollars a day. Mm-hmm. Well, eventually those countries are going to say, you know what, uh, country Canada can't get its act together. They don't enforce any rule of law. Uh, mm-hmm. The Prime Minister of Canada is more worried about, um, you know, apologizing for everything under the sun than actually taking making hard decisions. Mm-hmm. I am now not going to buy wheat or beef or metallurgical coal in Canada. I'm going to go buy those things in Brazil. Australia, New Zealand, Chile, and they don't come back because we are no longer able to meet the commitments that we've made on the world market. And, you know, again, people don't talk about these things, but these are very real problems that, uh, you know, inept, inept and corrupt governments are are, uh, are causing for us. Definitely. My, my, my last question for you here is kind of just looking at the, like the last couple of years, I mean, Western alienations is a huge, serious issue in, in the West, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba. Well, what are some what are some things that your constituents are, are going to focus on in this next election? What, what's going to say that we'll vote conservative? I think what what people in Western Canada are looking for and, and you know, go back to equalization, for example, um, people in the West aren't opposed to equalization necessarily. Uh, we are 
more than happy to do our fair share for the country as a whole. But where the tipping point is, is we also want to be respected for our contributions to Confederation. And, you know, Quebec, for example, or BC, when they don't want to allow pipelines to be built through their territory, but they still want to benefit from the development of the resources that we have in Alberta, like you can't have your cake and eat it too. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where Albertans are getting frustrated right now is that, uh, you know, you, you can't have these provinces or these provincial governments want to benefit, you know, Quebec has had a has a budget surplus the last couple of years, you know, on the backs of Albertans, and we certainly mm -hmm. have not had uh, balanced budgets the last couple of years mm -hmm. because we're we're seeing an economic downturn here. Mm -hmm. So it's it's a matter of just being res respected, and I think that's what uh, our conservative supporters in Alberta want is they want us to stand up for what we um, what we represent, the values that we hold dear, and and obviously agriculture, natural resource development. Uh, and entrepreneurship are, are those things that we that we hold dear out here, and we want that to be acknowledged uh, for our role in, in confederation. But I think even a lot of it isn't necessarily east versus west. I think our biggest challenge right now, especially as conservatives, is that urban-rural divide. Mm -hmm. And uh, Justin Trudeau has done an amazing job at politics by division. And uh, the, our biggest challenge is, is the divide within Canada between urban and rural communities. Definitely. But, well, sure. well, thank you so much for coming on here, John. It was terrific to have you. It would definitely be great to, to get you back on another time. Real pleasure, Aiden. Thanks very much for having me. Thank you. Thanks.